Welcome to Reality. My name is Carlos, and I'm the lead pastor here. And if this is your first time, I want you to know we're so thrilled that you came. Uh, this is a safe place for you to be able to explore the claims of Christianity. Um, I want you to know so much. I want you to know that the reason we sing is because we believe that God loved us first, and we respond to his love in things like even singing and what we call worship. Amen. So listen, today we have a very special guest among us. It's my good friend, Pastor Derek Delane. He is the lead pastor of Proclamation Church. And it, I'm, 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 I'm emotional because Pastor Derek and I were part of a cohort. We call it the COVID cohort of church planners. People who want to start churches. We were part of the church um, that we that essentially got us into this program where they're teaching us how to start a church and how to prepare for that. And, and a lot of different details went into this, but... Um, we were part of the same cohort with uh, two other people as well. And just to, you know, we were dreaming. Uh, I won't tell you, we had a different name back then. It was bad, all right? But anyways, really uh, so grateful that he's here. He also planted a church called Proclamation in Nashville, Tennessee. All the way here from Nashville, man. Like every other spring breaker as well in Miami. So anyways, um, I want you to please... Give him a big time reality welcome. Pastor Derek DeLane, come on. Love you too, man. What's up, fam? Nope, better than that, please. What's up, fam? That's what I'm talking about. Listen, uh, I call you guys family because, as, as Carlos shared, uh, we are family, right? We, uh, when we were going through the cohort together, uh, we never thought that we were going to do this uh, during COVID, right? Uh, you know, we had all these visions and these dreams and these ideas that the Lord has given to us. And we're like, yo, we're going to go out and we're going to change the world. And then COVID changed us, amen, right? Just like, okay, Lord, are you sure that this is what we're supposed to be doing? But, but here we are, right? And the Lord has been kind. I'm coming all the way from Nashville, Tennessee, home of hot chicken, honky-tonk, and country music, amen, somebody? No to the country music, though. Not a, I'm not a fan of that. Uh, the Lord uh, sent me to Nashville to humble me in Jesus' name because I don't like country music. Uh, and believe it a lot, uh, you know, there's a lot of people in Nashville who actually don't like country music either. Um, it's just a stigma. You have to come to Nashville to realize that we don't like country music, right? But it's okay. You know, I'll let you think what you want to uh, in Jesus' name. But I'm excited to, to be here. Um, here's the thing, all right? So I had no idea. This, it's March, right? It's, it's currently, uh, it's not a lot, but it's snowing in Nashville right now, okay? So when I step off this airplane and I step into humidity, right? It's like 80-some degrees yesterday. I was like, yo, what is this, right? Like, I feel like Mother Nature, like, came up and, like, whispered, welcome, to Miami, yeah. it was just hot. Immediately started sweating. I was like, "Yo, Carlos, what is this?" And he was like, "This is this is home, right?" I said, "Bro, it's March right now. Why is it so hot, right?" So you know, I'm hot and I'm sweaty. I was like, "I don't get it, Lord. What are you doing to me here in this season? That's not really a season because you guys don't have seasons, right? You have degrees. You know what I'm talking about? It's hot, and then it's like extra hot." That's not a season. That's an oven. You know what I'm saying? 
I was like, I just don't, I just don't get it. Well, Lord, what are, you, what are you doing? And then I don't, I don't like flying either. A little bit about me, I don't enjoy flying. You know, it's a, it's a necessary evil, right? I don't like flying because uh, if you're familiar with Scripture, Matthew 28, one of the last things Jesus said to us was what? Lo, I'll be with you, right? <laughs> he didn't say hi, right? And so I get in an airplane, and I just, I just get nervous, right? And, and this particular flight yesterday just had all kinds of turbulence, family, right? I'm talking about my beard is gray. It's super gray now, right? It's just super stressed. And I don't know what it is about, you know, the turbulence and the flying. Sometimes, you know, I, I put my hand on the seat like somehow I'm going to hold the thing together, right? It's shaking. I'm like, mm, Lord, no, 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 right? But it's going to shake, and, and I look at, you know, the stewardess and all these people, and they're so, so calm, and I'm just so nervous. I'm sweating bullets, right? And, and I throw up like these Hail Mary prayers. Have you ever been there? Lord, keep me safe, right? I'm trying to land. I need to, I need to give my, my brother a break. Let me get to Miami in one piece, and then when I get to Nashville, let me get back in one piece. Lord, please help me out here, right? You guys ever pray prayers like that? Come on. Listen, listen. I need you all to talk to me because I'm, talk, I'm talking to you, right? Come on, all right? Have you ever been there before where you're like, Lord, I need you to change this current circumstance right now because this is bananas, right? <laughs> I need you to do something, right? Here's the thing. We a lot of times pray because we want to see circumstances, the things that we're walking through changed, amen, right? What if I told you, what if I came all the way from Nashville, Tennessee to tell you that, yes, God cares about us praying and asking him to change certain circumstances in our lives, but what if God is actually trying to do something inside of us, where he's trying to change us? Not saying that he doesn't care about certain circumstances, which we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. He does care about that. He's, he's our good father. He wants us to pray specific things to him. But he wants to do something inside of us. In fact, in Philippians 4, 6 to 7, we're actually encouraged to go to God in all things. It says in all prayer and supplication, right, to make your request known to the Lord. So what that means is it's not just about asking the Lord to, you know, land the plane safely, which praise God he does. It's not just about job circumstances or family issues or things like that. It's all things. What does that look like? Well, it looks like Zacharias and Elizabeth praying for a son in Scripture. It looks like Solomon asking God for wisdom. It looks like Moses asking God for water because they didn't have any and they were thirsty. It looks like Daniel asking God to help him understand a dream that he had. It looks like Gideon asking God for proof that he was the man to, to be called, right? It looks like Abraham's servant asking God to help him to find a wife for Isaac. It looks like David asking God for forgiveness and restoring the joy of his salvation after he abused his power against Bathsheba. It looks like Elijah praying for rain. It looks like Paul asking, be, asking to be delivered from a thorn in his side. It looks like the disciples praying for boldness and sharing. It looks like Jesus praying for you and I to be unified. It's going to God in all things. Family, when we look at Scripture, what we see is that all these different things matter to God because they matter to his kids. They take it before God. Pray about everything. Why? Because it communicates desperation. It, it communicates that we're needy. We don't like saying that we're needy. We like operating as if we in all strength and all power. Amen. Oh, y'all don't want to say amen to that one. We want to live as if we have everything under control, but the reality is we don't. 
I want to start off with a question this morning. How's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? Prayer is one of those things that people who say they know Jesus would say prayer is very, very important. They would say it's a healthy habit. However, many people would confess that their prayer life really isn't as vibrant as they want it to be. And my hope is, is that we would leave out of here understanding this, that, write this down if you're taking notes, that prayer should communicate a position of desperation that enables us to be changed for the glory and kingdom of God. While that is still up there, I want to read this. So Paul Miller in his book, The Praying Life, says this about our prayer life. Prayer is simply the medium through which we experience and connect to God. He goes on to say that power in prayer comes from being in touch with your weakness. To teach us to pray, Jesus told stories of weak people who knew they couldn't do life on their own. The persistent widow, the friend at midnight get access not because they are strong, but because they are desperate. And learned desperation is at the heart of a praying life. Family, how connected to God do you feel? How desperate do you feel? How intimate of a relationship do you have with him that this connectedness and dependence and intimacy rooted in a praying life with God and God in his kindness invites us into those things with him? So if that's true, then as our sister Lauren prayed, our posture should be very much like the disciples then. <laughs> Teach us to pray. If I get to know more of God and who he is and he's trying to change me, teach us to pray. Have you guys been walking through this series on what it means to have a, a changed life? What does this look like? Well, I'm here to tell you today that prayer actually changes us. I find it so fascinating that in all the Gospels, right, that which are essentially biographies of Jesus, if you will, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see these stories, right? And, and in it, the disciples see Jesus cast out demons. They see Jesus make all this food out of nothing, right? They see Jesus heal people from the dead, heal all sickness, right? But not one time in any of the Gospels do they say, yo, teach us how to do that. The only thing that they ask Jesus to teach them is to pray. And I believe the reason why that is because they saw this connectedness, this source of power that he had was somehow connected to the Father. And they're like, yo, we want that. We need that. And so they say, teach us to pray. Family, I hope that one line encourages you this morning as you develop a desire to grow in your prayer life. Because can, can I be honest with you? Thank you, Carlos. Can I be honest with them, though? Oh, okay, all right, because they ain't say nothing. Can we be honest, family? Yes. Praise God. Nobody in here is really good at praying. We got to learn. And guess what? That communicates desperation. That communicates weakness. We about to be real up in here today. Praise God. I get to go back to Nashville, so this is where we're at. Listen, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, okay? The very first thing that I want you to see in this text that we just read is this. We are changed by prayer because it gives us a chance to see God as our Father. It gives us a chance to see God at our father, as our Father. Look again at the beginning of verse 2. It says, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, right? He says, whenever you pray, in, in the CSV, it says, Father, your name be honored as holy, 
Jesus understood God as being his father, and now Jesus has the audacity to invite us in to be thinking the same way. That God is our father. (laughs) Now listen, the vast majority of Christians, when they pray, they address God as father, right? We hear that, and we're like, oh yeah, well that kind of makes sense. For those who are familiar with anything to do with Christianity, the idea of God as father is not something that we think is mind-blowing. But during this time throughout the Old Testament, every time you saw the word father used, it was never used to address God in prayer. However, now Jesus, when he's praying and talking about God and talking to God, he always references God as father. This is actually one of the reasons why the Pharisees were so upset with him. Because he was claiming to be the son of God and to do that was blasphemy, right? It was this charge of blasphemy that would actually lead to the death of Jesus on the cross that would lead to the forgiveness of our sins, which ties all of this together beautifully. Because it's in the death of Jesus and our submitting to him as Lord that actually saves us from our sins. It's in being saved from our sin that we are now adopted into the family of God. And now that we're adopted into the family of God, we now have the position and the opportunity to now talk to God as who? Father. It's all tied in together. When Jesus tells the disciples to address God as Father, here's the thing. He wasn't incorporating universal language. This is what I mean by that. He was talking and teaching about the relationship that would come from those who are found in Christ. That now that we have an opportunity to be a part of the family of God, we have an opportunity to grow in the understanding of what it means to be in relationship to God as a child. Can I ask you a question? Thank you. Oh, you guys catching on. Praise God. How do you view God as father? How do you picture God, period? If you're like me, sometimes it's easy to just look at God as, you know, this, this guy with a white robe and a big old white beard kind of sitting on the throne. And then every time we sin, he'd be like, there they go again. Right? Y'all laughing because you know you pictured him that way too. Right? Right? But, but the reality is that's not who he is. Jesus is actually showing us that God is our father, and as a father, guess what? He's not disappointed in us. He wants to be with us. He's saying to us right now, I want you to, man, let this pour over you. He's saying to you right now, regardless of what you've done, regardless of the things that have come out your mouth, regardless of how you've lived your life, he is saying, I want a relationship with you. And if you are found in Jesus, he is singing that even more loudly over you. I want you. I'm jealous for you. I desire you. I'm calling you. And here's the thing. If we're honest, every single one of us has a desire to be wanted. Every single one of us. When you were in middle school, you hated P.E. class. Why? You didn't want to get picked last. Right? You wanted to be liked. You, you wanted to be on the team, right? Even as I say that, some of you guys are starting, like, it's anxiety-inducing. You're thinking about that. Oh, my gosh, I remember when Johnny picked Sally over me, right? You remember that, right? We want to be wanted. We desire this. And here's the thing. Many of you, you've come from broken homes. You desired so badly to have a healthy relationship with your mom or your father or your sister. And to this day, that relationship is still strained. You've been looked over by that job. 
Your spouse is unfaithful to you through adultery or pornography. Maybe you desire a spouse and you don't even have one yet. You're still single after all these years. You've been betrayed by that friend. I could go on and on and on. And that feeling or that wound comes up. You want to be wanted. Can I encourage you with something this morning, family? When those things creep into our minds and we begin to feel unloved or unwanted, rest in the beauty that God wants you. He's jealous for you. And we see that on full display because of everything that Jesus has done for you. That when he went to the cross, he had you in mind. That when he was beat, he had you in mind. When he was on the cross, the prize that was set before him, you were part of that prize. He did this with you in mind. He would die. He would live the life that we couldn't live, die the death that we deserve to die. He would rise from the grave victorious over sin and death so that we, entrusting in his work, can now be adopted as son or daughter of the most high God. Sometimes when we think of fathers, we think of either good or good dads or bad dads, regardless of where you've come from. But the reality is this, Ephesians 3.15 reminds us that God is the father whom every human father is simply a shadow of. If that's the case, then how should we see God as a father? It means he's never too busy or something else on his mind because his eyes are on you. He's never too occupied with work to not be there for you. He's never too focused on the game because he's focused on you. He sings over you. He's overjoyed because of you. He loves you, and he wants to be with you. Why? Because that's his character. That's why Jesus says when we pray, we say, Our Father, hallowed be your name, or holy, this is who you are. You're completely set apart. Essentially, that's what he's getting at. God has revealed himself to be this way towards you and I. And we have an opportunity to see his character on display and how he responds to us. And in our return, in return, our response to him should be one of awe and wonder and respect. To be holy is to be unique, to be special without any type of parallel. That's who God is. And family, when we begin to meditate on that fact, when we begin to see that as as truth, that's life-altering. That's how we change. (laughs) Because God is changing us. To hallow God's name is to have a heart of grateful joy towards God and who he is. And even more, this wondrous sense of his beauty. That, yo, you are this complete set apart and you love me? Do you know what I said yesterday? (laughs) I've been in this traffic around here. I know y'all be giving people the number one. You laughing because you've done it. (laughs) He loves you even then. And in Jesus, he's not holding any of that against you. That's what it means to be a part of the family of God. Because when we begin to think about this, it changes how we pray. It really does. Listen, we may believe in God, but our deepest hopes and happiness typically rest in the things that we ask him for how successful we can actually be in our relationships. We often pray mainly because 
when our career or our finances are in trouble or when some relationship or social interaction is in jeopardy, right? Listen, it isn't wrong to pray for those things. But here's the thing. Are we praying to get the stuff or are we praying to be with the Father? Would we much rather have the created things or have the creator? When we begin to think about it along those lines, it, it gets a little convicting. <laughs> but it should change us now. Listen, do we want that job? Yes. It's okay to pray for it. Do you want to see healing in the life of the loved one? Yes. It's okay to pray for it. Do we want to see justice? Yes. But what happens when those things don't happen? What do you do? Can we say that we are still content in this holy and fully above us God that allows us to be with him? Let me ask it a different way. Do you view prayer as an opportunity to be with your father or simply an opportunity for your circumstances to be altered? Go ahead and write that down because that punched me in the chest. And by the silence, y'all got punched too. That's how the Holy Spirit worked. Just mm, get this truth. Family, Jesus is showing us not just the how of praying, but the why. That we get to meet with God. We get to commune with God. We used to get to see him as father. And when that happens, that changes us. It doesn't end there, though. Prayer changes us because it gives us a chance to see God as father, but it also changes us. Because it focuses our heart on the kingdom of God. Look at the end of verse 2. What does Jesus say? He says, your kingdom come. Man, that's convicting. Why? Because if you're like me, you often pray, Derek's kingdom come. Right? You often pray, Jimmy, no, not to knock on you, but Jimmy's kingdom come. Right? Right? We, we want our kingdom to come. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Let me flip it on your head. His kingdom come. When we begin praying for God's kingdom over our own, guess what? The idols of our lives will start to be revealed. This goes back to only coming to God when we want stuff, right? Want him to fix things or give us things. And he's saying here that if you're pleading and pleading with God to accomplish this thing for you, instead of saying your will be done, your name be magnified, your name be seen as great, your name be worshipped, then guess what? You're missing the mark. Prayer should not be trying to get God to work out every detail in our lives. It should be about us focusing to make sure the details of our lives are lining up with him and his. That the kingdom of God would come. Again, I, I want you to hear me say this, right? Because sometimes it, I can, we can say these things and people just like, well, heck, then what do I pray for, right? I want you to hear me say this. There's nothing wrong with praying for healing. Do you get that? Thank you. There's nothing wrong with praying for healing. There's nothing wrong with praying for provision. There's nothing wrong with going to God with the issues that are plaguing our hearts and our minds. Do you hear me say that? Okay. He wants us to do that. Why does he want us to do that? Catch this. The pain and the hurt you're walking through, guess what, is not part of his coming kingdom. All right? Oh, we about to walk through some truth here. All right? 
When you pray these things, when you pray against that stuff, when you're asking for God to move in these specific scenarios, what you are doing is lining your your hearts up with God's will. But the thing that we have to be on guard for is this. Do we pray for things to find our comfort in this world or are we focused in the kingdom that is coming? Listen, in Jesus, the kingdom of God is beginning to, to be realized. Because the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is is characterized by life with God under the rule and reign of Jesus. Okay? This this was Jesus' ministry. He believed that the kingdom was something to be valued. That's why he spent the majority of his time here on earth saying, yo, the kingdom is coming. All right? Kingdom of God's at hand. He understood that the kingdom was to be so valued and that the the kingdom is is so joy-inducing, right? That this kingdom includes everything that God has done through Jesus and will do because of Jesus. And what's that? Make all things new. Right all the wrongs. Make all the sad things untrue. And all that is for our good and his glory. Redemption, salvation, satisfaction, healing. Both spiritually and eventually physically as well. All those things are going to be found in the kingdom. So Jesus is saying, yo, pray for that kingdom to come. Pray that that becomes a reality. As as Matthew records this particular prayer in his biography of Jesus, he says, your kingdom come on earth as what? As it will be in heaven. This is what this looks like. It's the the grand narrative of scripture. You guys familiar with that? Creation, fall, uh, redemption, and restoration. That God created all things perfect, all things good. The fall brought about sin. That now has not just plagued Adam and Eve, has also plagued you and I as well. That's why we be giving people the number one in traffic, right? It's just who we are because of sin. But in our sin that God has provided a way of us to have salvation through Jesus, redemption. We've been redeemed because of Jesus. Praise God. And now we're seeing this restoration take place where Jesus is making all things new. That's the grand story, the grand narrative of scripture, right? That's what every miracle that Jesus was doing was pointing to. That Jesus is bringing about the kingdom of God and that kingdom resides in healing from all hurts, all brokenness, and all oppression. So what that means is when you, when you close your eyes and you begin to pray for God to move and you're asking him to heal and you're asking him to, be for, to, to, to deliver your family members and all these different things. And when you open up your eyes and you see that it's still broken, it should make you sad. It should break your heart. We should be sad. It should break our hearts when our family and our friends are sick. We should be sad when we see racial injustice. We should be sad when we see the poor mistreated. We should be sad when we see people go without. We should be sad when we see death. Whether it be by the hands of an oppressor or the government. We should be sad when we see discrimination in education, politics, our justice system. We should be sad. But in our sadness, family, it should push us to pray. The stuff that I see, God, this ain't a part of your kingdom. Jesus told me to pray for your kingdom. That ain't what it's supposed to look like. But here's the thing. When we pray... And when we ask him to move, guess what? He also moves us into action. That restoration piece is coming about. But guess what? For some reason, he wants to use us to be a part of it. (laughs) He he allows us to be a part of this movement. 
He allows us to have a part to play. And that's crazy to me. (laughs) But he does it. In their book, Compassion and Conviction, we see that we are reminded that we are not islands unto ourselves. We're affected by what goes on around us, and we should pray and then take action out of concern for it. Family, because of Jesus, we know that this kingdom will be realized. However, it begins to happen when we pray and we're moved by God's spirit into action. Let's be honest. Our culture is so bent towards fatalism. This is what I mean by that, right? We're super laissez-faire. We believe we don't have a part to play. Ah, if it happens, it happens. Ugh. Bah humbug, right? We operate in this way. What's going to happen is going to happen, right? With or without my prayers. And we may even sometimes put the spiritual bow on it, right? Well, God is in control. (laughs) If it's his will, right? And then we don't do what we're supposed to do. Maybe God's will is for you to get up and do something. Maybe God's will is for us to to step in and be a part of the show, which I would say is the move. Jesus believed that things happen when we pray, and some of those things don't happen when you don't pray. St. Augustine says this, pray as though everything depended on God, work as though everything depended on you. He liked it, so I'm going to say it again. Pray as though everything depended on God. Work as though everything depended on you. How are you doing that, fam? We do this by praying that we see how God sees and respond how he wants us to respond. Our concern should be the kingdom of God. And when we pray, it focuses our heart on that. When we spend time with God, our hearts are changed in such a way where our hearts break for what breaks his So when we pray, it changes us by seeing God as Father. It focuses our heart on his mission, but finally, prayer changes us because it builds our trust in God. It changes us because it builds our trust in God. Look at verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This analogy that Jesus uses is so funny to me. In fact, I'm pretty sure in my mind's eye as I read scripture, as the disciples heard this, they probably chuckled too, right? Essentially what what he's saying is, is, is this, that God our Father is a giver of good gifts. He gives good gifts. I have two children. I have a daughter. She's 11. Her name is True. I got a nine-year-old son named Michael, right? And once upon a time, before they were more self-sufficient, praise God for this season that we are in, right? Making their own lunches and stuff. Can we just have a praise break for that, right? (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) But once upon a time, they were very sufficient, right? Like, not self-sufficient, excuse me. They were very dependent on us. And Michael loved chicken nuggets, right? And every time, right, whether it be lunch or snack or something, he wanted chicken nuggets, right? And he would always, Dad, can you get me chicken nuggets? Dad, can you warm me up some chicken nuggets? Dad, I'll, can I get three chicken nuggets instead of five this time? Just, I just want a little bit to hold me over, right? Right? What if one of those days he was like, hey, I really want some chicken nuggets that I got in the freezer, went in the bag and was like, rattlesnake, right? 
That's the analogy that Jesus is using. Funny, right? Think about it. Number one, I wouldn't do that because you guys would all report me. But number two, no parent would do that, right? Because we care for our kids. I'm not going to give you no, no rattlesnake or scorpion or something that's going to harm you. I'm give you these chicken nuggets. Now, now, I know what you're thinking. Well, that's not good lunch, Derek. Listen, don't judge me, okay? I got I'm busy. Schedules, right? Sometimes chicken nuggets is just how we roll. But here's the thing. There are moments where Michael would have said, you know, hey, I don't want chicken nuggets. I, I just want some candy, right? And I'm a good dad. And I'm like, hey, no, nah, I'm not giving you no candy, right? You won't get these chicken nuggets, right? <laughs> Stick with the illustration, please, all right? <laughs> Man, y'all, I know in Miami, I was talking to Carlos. I was like, yo, they super health conscious down here. Y'all, chicken nuggets be banging, though, I'm telling you. Amen, praise God. <laughs> I was like, yo, no, I'm not giving you any candy because this candy is going to ruin your appetite later on, right? I'm going to give you something to hold you over, right? That's, that's what we view here in this moment. And here's the thing. Me, as, as kind of a dad as I am, you see what Jesus calls me? He says, yo, these earthly dads, they're not going to give their kids, you know, bad stuff. But guess what? He says, they're evil, though. <laughs> Dang, Jesus. Even me giving my son chicken nuggets and thinking I'm caring for him and being kind to him, even in that, I'm still evil? Why? Because I'm a sinner. I'm really not. Like, I would love to think that I'm the best dad ever, but the reality is I'm not. And I'm not intentionally out here trying to be a bad dad. That's just the nature of the beast. Because I'm oftentimes selfish. Because I'm oftentimes focused, about, focused on me. That there are moments when I'm sitting down and was doing something, and Michael would come and interrupt those times for the chicken nuggets, right? And I'd be like, yo, can you wait like five minutes? Them chicken nuggets ain't going nowhere. And you're not going to pass out. But what Jesus is saying is like, man, even though Michael would always go to his dad because his dad was reliable for the chicken nuggets, that his dad was still evil. It's like even in his good, he'll still drop the ball. And then Jesus goes on to say, he's like, yo, if his earthly father, if your earthly fathers are giving you good chicken nuggets and you enjoy those things and you know that they can be dependable, how much more so will your heavenly father provide for you? How much more? Bro, your heavenly father is not just going to give you chicken nuggets. He's going to give you that good stuff. He's going to get you that chicken nuggets with no, what's the, the GMO? None of that stuff, right? Because I know every last one of y'all were thinking, he feeding them that poison? Don't judge me. <laughs> Bro, we can trust our father to give good gifts. We have to. That's just who he is. There are going to be moments, right, where we see God and we're asking him for this stuff. Sometimes he'll provide, sometimes he won't. But there's a portion in this story, I don't know if you caught it, the neighbor coming over to the house and asking for bread in the middle of the night. Did you catch it? What was he doing? Over and over and over and over. So the neighbor finally was like, yo, what? 
I got some people coming over. Can I get some bread? What? Some bread, man. You know, I'm just trying to serve my friends coming over. Can you, can you spare some bread? In the middle of the night? Yeah, man, they party animals. Can, can I get some bread? Here, man, take the bread. Go. Thanks, I appreciate it. I owe you back. He throws that in there. He's like, yo, there's something about this persistent asking over and over and over again that does what? It communicates trust. I'm going to keep on going back because you've been faithful over here before. You've been reliable in this instance. When I asked for some sugar, you gave me some sugar the last time. When I was fresh out of eggs, you gave me some eggs the last time. When I didn't have, you provided the last time. So I'm going to keep on coming back and asking and asking and asking because you're going to do something. You may not give me exactly what I'm asking for, but I trust you enough to still provide. Do you see how this changes our demeanor towards our father now? That I can keep coming back to him over and over and over again, and that's how God builds our trust in him. It's, it's kind of like a, a, a muscle, right? Again, walking around Miami, I was like, Carlos, why are people so beautiful here? They're immaculate. Convicting. <laughs> but as I'm watching people run and all this other stuff, I was like, oh, man, they exercise them. Right? They're familiar with this idea of tearing down something and building it back up again. That's what trust is. It's this muscle that needs to be broken down and built up, broken down and built up. Why? So it gets stronger the next time. Stronger the next time. Stronger the next time. And sometimes God puts us in positions where he's going to have to tear us down and break us down to build us back up, to believe that he's still good. To believe that he's still going to provide. He tears us. I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not. But this week is the two-year mark where the majority of churches and businesses shut down across the country due to COVID. Did you know that? Happy anniversary. <laughs> two years ago, our worlds changed. Me and Carlos was going through the, the, uh, the, the church planning cohort. Hanging out every, every two weeks, high-fiving and stuff. And then we had to move to Zoom. Zoom's the worst. It's a necessary evil. But can I ask you a question? In the last two years, going on three now, what has God done in your life in this season that has built trust in him? That your faith in yourself, your faith in others, your faith in your jobs, your faith in whatever had to be ripped from you so that you could say, yo, God is all I have. God is all I have. God is all that I need. Many of you guys put your yes on the table to move to Miami to help build this church. And some of you are like, yo, I would not expect that it would be the way that it has been. But in the conversations and the stories I've been hearing, God has been faithful to you. Many of you guys are here and you're like, yo, I don't know who this guy is. He's got a lot of energy. His hair is super nice. <laughs> Praise God. I was wondering if you guys were going to notice it. <laughs> I'm stupid if you guys didn't know that. 
Some of you guys aren't part of this church. And you're listening to this and you're thinking, what in the world is all of this? But you're hearing about faith and trust and God as a father and you're curious. I want my faith to look like this. Everything else that I've been thinking through and processing just seems to have fallen by the wayside. What is God doing in your life? Many of you guys are so unsure about life in general. I need you to hear me say this. Guys, there's no such thing as a wasted experience. From COVID, from you helping to start this church, from you not even understanding anything about God, but sitting here now hearing about his love for you. There's no such thing as a wasted experience. God is in the business of showing you who he is on the mountaintops as well as he is in the valleys. Sometimes God will allow storms to come your way so that you can trust him to see that Jesus is walking out on the water to come towards you. Some of you guys need to understand that he allows your enemies to be around you and it's really hard and really difficult, but he's given you an opportunity to trust him, to watch him prepare a table before them so that you can feast, so that you can see that he is still good. Family, trust in God isn't just how we begin the trip of Christianity. It's the fuel for the entire journey. And God is determined to strengthen that in your life through him. And our going to God over and over and over again, even when things don't make sense, is to build our trust to realize that he is good over and over and over again. How do we know that? Because the one who is teaching us how to pray is telling us this truth. He's the one that would go to the cross to die for us. And you want to know what's unique? You know what's interesting? Every time Jesus addresses God in the Gospels, he's addressing him as Father. The one time that he doesn't address him as Father is on the cross when he says what? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Family, Jesus was forsaken so that you and I wouldn't have to be. Jesus had his Father turn away from him so that he could turn to us. Jesus was abandoned so that you and I could be adopted. So the one who is now telling us that our God can be trusted realized that the cross really looked silly. It really doesn't, didn't make any sense. But God was like, you know what? Jesus was like, my father can be trusted. And even though I'm praying that this cup would somehow be removed, not my will, but your will be done, we're going to do this thing because the prize that is set before us is the family of God. And I want them to be a part of this thing. Jesus did that for us. He knew what he was stepping into. And now he's telling us, my father can be trusted. Our father can be trusted. Family, listen to me. Even our trust in God has to be delivered to us. That's why God says at the end of verse 13, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
Everything that Jesus has done for us, his sinless life, his righteousness, his substitutionary death as our Lord and Savior, his payment of our penalty for sin, his resurrection to conquer enemies, Satan, sin, and death, all of that is given to us and brought to us and applied to us by who? Holy Spirit. It's what people smarter than me call sanctification. Sanctification, you ever heard of it? 1 Peter 1, chapter 2 reminds us that the Holy Spirit is actually responsible for the work of sanctification in our lives. What's the evidence of sanctification in our lives, family? Prayer. Prayer. That we've begun to realize that I can't do this without, without God. And so then he says, all right, cool. Well, if you realize that you can't do it without me, guess what? When you come to me, ask for more of the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? Change us. He begins to show the things in our lives that don't look like his son, that don't look like Jesus. And he's like, yo, I'm going to take this from you. I'm going to remove this from you. I'm going to help chisel this away from you. So that when you realize more and more that you can't do it on your own, that you have a Holy Spirit that is pushing you to look more like God. And that's what we need, family. You want to change? You pray and you ask God for more of the Holy Spirit. Because when you're asking him to move, he's working. He's reminding us that God is our father. He's empowering us to be useful to see God's kingdom come. He reminds us of everything that God has done for us and will continue to do for us, which enables us to trust him. We're changed when we pray. So the question I want to ask is the same way that I started this morning. How's your prayer life? My hope is that after hearing about prayer changing us, that you will leave out of here in a posture of desperation. I need to meet with my father. I need to have him operate in me in the only ways that he can. We're changed when we pray. Here's the thing, as followers of Jesus, we're told that desperation is exactly where we need to be. Remember I said earlier, we don't, we don't like talking about being desperate. But here's the thing. If desperation is where we need to be, if dependence is the goal, then guess what? Weakness is an advantage. It's the advantage for us. It's neediness, not having it all togetherness that draws us close to the heart of our Father. So family, let's be needy children. What chicken nuggets are you asking for today? What are things that you're like, hey, I, I can't do this. I can't reach the buttons. I can't put it on the plate. The plate's too hot when I touch it. I, I need help. What are you asking God for in your life that it's not just the circumstances in and of themselves, but he's wanting to do something to show you that he is still good to you? What is that? Listen, our teams are going to come here. We're going we're gonna to finish out and, and worship. But before we do that, I, I want us to be in this posture here. Because there's, there's two types of desperation. There's this desperation as the follower of Jesus that you're like, yo, like I, I need God. He, he's all that I have, right? And so maybe this should be a time for you right here in this moment to be like, you know what? I've been finding myself trying to depend on other things. I've been finding myself trying to run after other things. I've been finding myself trying to do this life on my own. And God is slowly trying to show you, hey, you still need me. 
maybe you just need to spend some time and pray and just, Lord, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for trying to be self-sufficient apart from you. I'm sorry for trying to be self, to be dependent on, on anything else other than you. There's another type of desperation in here. That there's people in here who are still searching. That this idea of God as father is just so foreign to you. Because you've never realized that he wants to be a father to you. That through Jesus he wants to save you. That he's calling to you. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 is one of my favorite verses in all scripture. It says, come to me, Jesus is saying, you'll come to me and I will give you rest. That's a beautiful thing when you think about it. Because our whole life is us working and working and trying and trying and going and going and doing and doing. And Jesus is saying, yo, stop. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Maybe you just need to rest in the goodness of the Lord today through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, yo, you're, de- you're depending on all the wrong things. Depend on me. Rest in me. Live in me. When we're desperate, family, we pray. When we lack trust, we pray. When all seems lost, we pray. We want to change, we pray. Family, we pray. Let's pray. That's how I'm in today. We're going to pray. You meet God where you are right now, whatever situation, whatever circumstance, whatever thing is happening, go to your Father. Go to your father. And guess what? He's already there waiting for you. Family, you pray.